0: Welcome to The Greener Way Podcast, a show about people, planet and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. We're joined by Mamadou Sar, President and Chief Executive Officer of V-Square Quantitative Management. Mamadou, I feel like we go way back. Uh, we've been having integration. We've, had, we've been having conversations about how ESG, climate transition risk can all be integrated into index and quantitative strategies for a really long time. Um, but can you introduce yourself and V Square to our listening audience?
1: Sure. And Rachel, what I'd delight like to connect again. I was looking at my notes, and I think we've been having this conversation for the past 10 years at least. And so a good decade and a good vintage of conversation somehow. And so a brief introduction about my background and uh, Rachel and for the audience. So I've been in the market for 20 plus years. And uh, after 20 years, you start cutting backwards. So I think we are going the other way around now. But Mm -hmm. nonetheless, uh, if I were to kind of think about a thread across my career, was my belief that sustainability and finance Uh, can find a great intersection. And on my side, my background is on the quant side, so I always felt that quantitative techniques were a great way to understand data and build portfolios. And so I spent um, many years at uh, a large U.S. asset manager as global head of ESG, as you know, and also spent years in other functions on the trading side and quant side at different shops around the world. And so when I left... uh, Big Shop to launch V-Square, my vision was the following. Mm-hmm. I wanted to build a firm that will be known for two things, research and innovation. And for me, the reason why I wanted to have research at the core is that I felt that sustainability became a byproduct, but was lacking consistency uh, the thoroughness of research processes. So I was very you know, fascinated by the fact that we needed to address that by having a hyper-focus on research. And the other part is innovation, because ultimately it's such a moving field. And for us to remain relevant in the years to come, we have to innovate. And so that's kind of the motto of vSquare, research and innovation.
0: So how do you actually go about doing that, Mamadou, when it comes to actually constructing the indices um, that you yeah. bring to market. And maybe we can talk about you know how you integrate goals like clean energy investment, clean yeah. tech, decarbonization trajectories um, into, st- into strategies, and then um. we'll move on to other, other ways that this is applied.
1: So we actually have a multi-asset class approach, Rachel. So we cover public equities, fixed income, listed real assets, and also cash management. Mm -hmm. And so we have a multi-sector view. Um, I'm not trying to pick the best sectors. My Mm take is that you can find good companies across sectors. What matters the most is actually what we call the intersection of fundamentals and sustainability metrics. And so when we invest or select a company, the company has to basically uh, meet these two conditions. First of all, is it a good investment at in the first place? Is the company uh, solve, has a great right solvency? Is the company well-managed? Is the company mm. at a great price from a uh, from the market standpoint? But by the same token, is the company using has the capex the right way and capturing opportunities on the green side? So that's basically a, uh, like a, a bi-dimensional approach that we have at B-Square with fundamental intersecting sustainability to select stocks within portfolios.
0: So let's. I want to focus in on something you just mentioned there, Mamadou. Um, this idea of capex and specifically green capex. Um, for our listening audience, um, green capex is the amount of money that a company is attributing on a forward basis for investment towards decarbonization goals or creating projects, uh, products, and services that serve decarbonization goals to through its supply chain. This is a really picky question, I find, because it can be difficult to identify what green capex looks like. How do you go about? doing that part of the research at vSquare?
1: I think when it comes to green capex, there is always that question around, are the companies transparent enough and providing enough information mm. about the way they use their capital? It's a fair ask, right? Mm. But the reality is that there is a lot of sales side research that is available that you could actually look into that goes above and beyond just the balance sheet information. Mm-hmm. And so the way we actually assess the green capex on our side and to capture opportunities is twofold. Obviously mm-hmm. we look into a balance sheet of companies, we look at other metrics, but also we have access to a lot of sales side research that give us a sense of how the companies are, you know, putting some forward investment into projects, how they're also avoiding certain projects as well. Because when you see the way the balance sheet, you know, as you kind of go and double click on numbers, you realize that a lot of energy companies are divesting from fossil fuel intensive projects and reinvesting in greener projects. Mm-hmm. So we use a multi-data form uh, approach, Rachel, to capture that. And mm-hmm. then we, that allowed us to get some, a higher confidence level around how companies are pivoting to capture that opportunities on the renewable side.
0: So, Mamadou, let's talk about this uh, specifically through the lens of, of one country, Australia. Um, yep. How prepared or how, what is the opportunity set available within Australia yep. to pick up on these, big, um, on these big thematics?
1: Well, Australia, for me, is a, it's an exciting market when it comes to renewables. First of all, you have a range, a diverse range of renewable sources in Australia. Mm. Solar, wind, hydro, geothermal, bioenergy. And today you already have 2.5 million of households that already have their solid panel on the roof. And if you adjust that by the size of the population, that's already a decent number. Mm. And the part that I'm excited about, if you look at the renewable energy that's uh, part of the energy mix, it was accounting for around 21% of the Australian total electricity generation in 2020. 21%. Now, mm-hmm. that number, if I want to take you back to uh, 2010, was only around seven, 6 to 7%, uh, Rachel. So you've mm-hmm. seen a steep growth in terms of the part of renewable into the energy mix. And I think this is a great testimony that you have different mechanisms in Australia that incentivize households, but also investors, to use renewable energy or be part of uh, projects uh, within the market.
0: I always love the statistic there's a as you say about 20 million rooftop solar installations here in Australia and there's about 10 million in the entire state of California so on an on an absolute and a relative basis Australia has a lot going on when it comes to renewable uptake don't we I agree Um so beyond that like I you know, beyond sort of those that sort of the raw statistics in terms of renewable power, how does that get channeled into individual company decisions, Mamadou? Are there opportunities around either renewable energy providers or energy companies in Australia, the infrastructure space? How does that then further get broken down?
1: Yeah, the reality is that the same way you mentioned uh, California, California has a lot of incentive for renewables. Mm. And Australia also has a range of incentive. And I'm not sure that all the investors are aware, or even the audience are fully aware of these opportunities. Well, the first one is that the government set a very ambitious goal mm. to have renewable energy representing at least 50% of the country electricity uh, or energy mix on the electricity side by 2030. It's a very ambitious goal, which requires incentive mechanism. Mm-hmm. So the first S mechanism is actually on the tax side. You do have some tax rebate. You also have some tariffs in and other incentives that are part of the, the loan interest rate level that are offered to any companies or businesses eager to use renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And the second part is the uh, renewable energy target, RET, which mm-hmm. allow the government to actually support projects and also incentivize private and, and public partnerships, Rachel. So Mm. these two mechanisms for me are great levers to be used to be catalysts within your market
0: you know, not to, uh, not to keep spouting statistics, but, you know, we recently covered an FS sustainability a report by the clean energy investor group um, who did some modeling suggesting that um, it is entirely possible to decarbonize Australia's national energy market in line with the 1.5 degree target by 2050 um, with about a half a trillion dollars of investment, uh, which yep. is a, re- it's interesting to have that kind of modeling and research. And, you know, they, you know, they've, predicated their modeling on using existing commercial technology, solar, you know, onshore wind, offshore wind, hydro pumped, um, you know, pumped hydro storage, that sort of all all of those available technologies. But it was interesting. And to bring in your point about public private partnerships, um, how, where does the balance lie between private investment, public investment, and making sure that one side isn't crowding out the other?
1: Yeah, you know, that's a that's a fair ask and a fair question. And for me, um, I, a, I wrote an op-ed not too long ago, and my question in my op-ed was renewables, are we ready for prime time mm. at last? And <laughs> at last was part of my question. And it was not a rhetorical question, but I was kind of posing that very important question. If we have mm. these ambitious goals by 2050 or 2030, are we actually ready? Mm. And I kind of raised a couple of flags that are also relevant for Australia. The first flag is the capital cost. And the capital cost is still too high for renewables. And therefore, if we want renewable to be a legitimate alternative, we will need to have a lower buyer to entry or more participants to lower lower the cost of capital. So that's the number one. Number two is the lack of infrastructure, especially around storage of energy and then the leakage that is an issue when it comes to uh, renewable energy. And this is where a public and private partnership makes sense, because on the infrastructure side, government tends to have a longer view, as opposed to private companies who are operating quarter to quarter. And for renewable infrastructure, given the cost and the long term um, uh, need that you have there, this is where by partnering with private companies, the government can have an ability to seize market opportunities, but also support long-term infrastructure by providing loans and long-term cost structure that can enable uh, infrastructure projects to support renewables. Mm. And last but not least, for this to work, it has also to become a global market. And I know we're talking about Australia, but a planned field around renewables will actually help the market overall. If you Mm. harmonize regulation, you're likely to have more entrant coming in and working in local projects. So one example that comes to mind was the work that Tesla did in South Australia mm-hmm. uh, on the lithium battery, and then within you know a period of few months, they were actually able to plug-in and then um, support some uh, high-energy output out of the lithium battery produced from South Australia. So that's just Mm -hmm. one example amongst many, Rachel. But Mm -hmm. it shows that if you have a playing field and you incentivize other players to come in your market, it -hmm. creates more competition, but also more opportunities by the same token.
0: I love um, I love that you pick up on this idea of readiness, Mamadou. Because uh, one of my favorite lines from Hamlet is "The readiness is all." Uh, is there is there a metric and a quantitative strategy for measuring readiness from your
1: perspective? Uh, it's a tough one, right? <laughs> uh, readiness is basically uh, I would say it's a, both an absolute and a relative measure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, why is it an absolute measure? Being ready in Australia means something different than being ready in place like France or being place like uh, Germany or the US, mm-hmm. right? So um, sometimes the readiness is having the right regulatory framework in place that mm-hmm. allows you to have a stable market that is operating with the right legislation and the right uh, oversight. That's one mm-hmm. way of thinking about readiness. Mm. For me, readiness, because I believe in the power of market, is having a free market where the price is reflective of the opportunity set. And that's what we're liking today. There is still a lack of participants who lower mm. the price and mm. a lack of user um, you know, usage across the mm. board to make it a very a, a true alternative for me, an alternative is when you tip over the 50%, just from a, a statistic number, you need to be above 50% of, uh, of of energy mix that are generated by renewable to think this as a viable alternative. Mm-hmm. Once we get to that magic number, I think we will be in a place where competition will be more intense and the price and opportunity will be more vivid.
0: Mamadou, we focused a lot on this interview so far, talking about um, commercial-grade technologies that are available today and how that feeds into an investment strategy. But how about that role of innovation? Um, yeah. How do you assess, um, you know, R&D that companies are making um, or, you know, developments in technology that may uh, may not yeah. be commercial or proven today, but maybe an investable yeah. thematic or uh, yeah. going forward?
1: This is a prerequisite because for us to get to net zero, most of the technology we are talking about are not yet developed or even not yet discovered. Mm. And um, I think this is where the role of private equity is very critical because a lot of these companies that are early stage or even still in the incubation phase will need capital and mm-hmm. they will need patience as well. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard when you have a sense of urgency to create new technology and then a the market demand that is in a way emerging. But I think we need to have this technology being supported, being invested, knowing that not all of them will work right? It's like in life science, whenever you see this project, you have phase one to phase five being before being able to be commercialized. I think it's going to be the same with renewable and clean tech. Mm. Uh, it will require investment and a bit of patience, and also a sense that not all the technology that will come out will be the right technologies, and mm. we'll probably need a couple of iteration to find the best technology out there.
0: Mamadou, when you're evaluating all of these different strands that we've been talking about today. Um, are there times where it's uh, more appropriate to invest using a, a listed equity? Is it more appropriate to use um, a bond or a fixed income yeah. strategy? Or as you say, yeah. you know, cash and other strategies? Again, you know, it's, it's interesting yeah. to have a multi-asset manager uh, yeah. in a conversation on this.
1: Well, there's, there's opportunities in all asset classes. So mm. fixed income, at least is easier in a sense that you can tie the use of proceeds to very specific projects, mm. right? So if you select a green bond, for example, you know that the proceeds are used to address you know, climate change, and at least you can tie that with very specific outcomes. It's the same with municipal bonds in the U.S. and other type of project bonds that are out there. You could tie the outcome to very specific projects. Mm-hmm. Now, on the listed side, it becomes more complicated unless you have a company solely focusing on renewables. Mm. And as you know, some of the early players didn't see the light and, and we've seen a lot of failures and bankruptcy in just solar energy, for example, right? And so often what you tend to realize, Rachel, is that the larger conglomerates and large energy companies tend to pivot and use part of their CapEx into green project and renewables. That's one way mm-hmm. to look at it. Or you need to go to smaller capitalization, micro cap, and even non-listed where you have tremendous opportunities on the private market side. So to your point, having a multi-asset class approach is paramount Mm -hmm. to capture opportunities, but you need to have the right due diligence process in place to, in a way, assess these opportunities um, accordingly.
0: Excellent. Well, Mamadou, as we come to the close of our time together, I want to ask you one question uh, because it can feel really overwhelming when we're looking at the topic of climate change and climate risk and the negative impacts um, on our, our planet and our communities. Um, what makes you hopeful and what makes you excited as you're developing these strategies and doing this research?
1: Well, what you know keeps me up at night and at night and gives me that smile in the morning is that we haven't tried everything, mm. and I'm a, a eternal optimistic. That's the way I'm wired. Uh, actually, I, I'm French living in America, so I have the uh, French pragmatism and the American enthusiasm <laughs> within my. <laughs> My way of life, right? Which is very weird, but that's the way I operate. So, because we haven't tried everything, I'm mm-hmm. excited about what we have ahead of us, Rachel.
0: Well, as an American person who's also lived in France, I can I can meet you coming from the other direction on that. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, uh, Mamadou Aboussar, V Square Quantitative Investment Management. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to The Greener Way Podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback, contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allen Backus.
2: The Greener Way Podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, (laughs) fssustainability.com.au.